Welcome to another edition of What's New in Wagyu. It's again Stephen Wolf here, and today we've got a pretty fun, interesting podcast that we're going to go over. I've got the guy who pretty much handles, well, does handle all of our embryo work um, here with us today. So I'm going to let Sean introduce himself, and then we're going to go down the path of how do we prepare animals for embryo transfer, how do we pre prepare animals for collection, and, and maybe some of the little hints and tips to help people be more successful with these processes. Yeah, so Stephen, uh, I'm Sean Powell, and uh, I've been doing embryo transfer for the last uh, 12 years. I started uh, a business here in East Idaho called Forefront Genetics uh, with my uncle and my dad, and we've been performing uh, embryo transfer here uh, at our facility, and uh, we also travel down to Utah and do uh, multiple facilities down in that direction so just kind of excited to be here see and that's that's the best part about this so i i told john when he was pulling embryos a while back that he gets to be on the podcast so here we are so we're going to walk down the road of let's figure out what we want to do to prepare these animals first for collection because that's where you get your embryos and then for recip work so what we do is we call Sean and we say, Sean, we're getting ready to bring some animals up. And he asks a few questions, which animals are coming up because not all animals are his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and then we bring our cattle up and um, we have a little bit different philosophy. We believe that all of our donors should be in the best condition possible. We do bring them from time to time with calves at side. My personal preference is that they're dry and they've had a calf off of them for 30, 45 days, but that's just me. I break that rule. It's not a firm, fast rule, but it's definitely something that I try to follow. It doesn't always work, but... Um, so we also believe that, that the animals need to be in tip-top shape. They don't need to be underfed or overfed and my cows sometimes I feel are overfed when they show up to you? Uh, sometimes, but they're usually in right about the right condition. And then the other thing we do is we make sure that we have an appropriate mineral program. We run multi-min with free choice all the time. We even throw out some blocks and Crystal X tubs and a few other things to get our donor cows ready to come see Sean. Then it comes down to the hard part, which is what he does. <laughs> so. That's what we do to get them here. Sean, what are some of the biggest things that you see happen when people run into a train wreck when they bring animals to get collected? Uh, some of the biggest train wrecks, um, they get a little too antsy with collection. You know, they just bought this big fancy donor. She's, you know, they want to get eggs out just as soon as possible. Um, she just barely calved, you know, 30 days ago, let's get some embryos out. And a lot of times um, you're usually, you run into infections or she's dirty or she's not cycling. Um, a lot of those things can cause a, a train wreck um, when they start, so. How often do you run into animals that aren't, that are, that are way too fat to even be collected? Um, it's fairly rarely, uh, fairly rare that we do that. Um, the big thing with the weight issue is um, 
it's usually a cow that's been dry for a while and they're just like, oh, we've been trying to collect her for two or three years. She's been unlimited feed, just uh, free choice hay bale uh, right in the manger. Um, and they expect you to get in there and there's nothing but fat on her side, you know, in the inside. And it makes it really hard to palpate her. She bleeds real easy. Um, but yeah, fat cows are, are not, not very fun to work with. Uh, usually my recommendation with those is is you just you take them home you show them the desert you find a blade of grass between the water and the other side of the fence and that's all she gets to eat for four or five months and then after you pull three or four hundred pounds off then usually they they start working again a lot of times when we run into the situation of a bigger cow that's at that stage we we just bring them home and put them in with the bull that's that's how we've handled it in the past. Uh, we've got two that we've collected that neither are pregnant still. Um, but we're working on it. Like they've been on the Jenny Twenty plan and they've lost some weight, but they just they just handle so well the feed that they just grow. They were fat enough that they didn't fit in shot and shoot very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and a lot of things. What I tell people is is it's really good to get those cows to have a calf those calves are the biggest energy draw that they can have in an adult life pulling off that milk so if you can be able to manage them which takes a lot of management to be able to pull that weight off while still feeding that calf a lot of people also they, they forget that a cow needs to have a cycle where she's bred an animal like she's a bred animal it has to happen at some point you have to give that cow an opportunity to be a cow and and that's that's what i think a lot of people oversee sometimes because in the wagyu world we buy cows and we spend so much money that we're trying to recoup this capital so quickly and i don't know if we make the right decision sometimes early on in my career we ruined a cow like she has to be collected ivf now there's nothing about it she's an fsh junkie like you can't do any of the other systems. They have to be IVF. They have to have full FSH. Like it's just a, it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and an expensive nightmare. Yeah, yeah. A bottle of FSH is getting pretty expensive these days. Like, like what's what's an average one running these days? Um, if you find around two thirty, you're doing pretty good. I've heard upwards of three hundred dollars a bottle. And that's kind of what I've been hearing anymore. It's three hundred bucks a bottle. So. Think about that guys like it doesn't pay to overwork the cow it doesn't pay to ruin a cow for sure and it doesn't pay for us to try to recoup all of our money in six months time on a cow that's it's just not what it is so sean when you're when you have a cow in and and kind of just go you know what's the process of getting embryos collected on a cow because there's a lot of people that are new to the cattle industry that buy Wagyu and want to learn about this. So um, a typical protocol that we run here uh, lasts 16 days. Um, in the course of that 16 days, on day zero, we put in a, a device called a Cedar, which is a progesterone-emitting vaginal uh, insert that uh, keeps the cow out of heat. That's kind of I like to call it the insurance policy side of things because um, we don't want the cow on day three of shots to decide that she's going to come into heat because then we have to scratch the rest of the shots and 
hopefully she fits where in a timeline where we can uh, get her flushed, but usually the response isn't as great. So we put that insurance policy in, then two days later, we give them a, a gonadotropin shot, uh, which is a GnRH, which is like Cisterellin or Factrel or uh, Fertigol, or there's a whole bunch of other products. And then two days after that, we start FSH shots, and it's a decreasing dosage, um, depending on whether it's a heifer or a cow, we kind of adjust the dosage because we don't want to, uh, we could stimulate them just as much as we could and just go all gangbusters. But usually what we end up doing is is wasting money on FSH. And those cows that, you know, if you're shooting for 60 every time, um, most likely all you're gonna end up with is unfertilized eggs. So for the next four days, we just give them shots morning and night, 12 hours apart. Um, on the last two shots, we give them a Lutalize shot uh, or a prostaglandin with it, and that allows us to pull, regress any CLs. And then on the very last shot, we pull that cedar, and in two days, uh, we breed them. And then we wait one week, and we go through the flushing process. So, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to get to the point where you've fertilized eggs and created embryos and a lot of us don't see that because well like us we drop them off and sean deals with it but that's how we've we've built a relationship where i drop stuff off to sean if sean has a problem he calls me or if we forget to drop semen off to him he calls me and i bring it up the day before like it, it's a different relationship that mo than most people i think have with their embryologist like i so when they do collections, I'll come and hang out and see what we get. And I don't know if it makes Sean nervous or not that I just sit there and hang out and spin circles. And it's just nice. It's nice to have a good relationship with the people that are helping you make money in the industry. Well, and that's the end goal is we're all in this to make money. If you're, if everyone's doing everything right, we're getting good embryos, good collections. Uh, and everybody's doing everything right and I think it should be a good working relationship you should be able to to talk have you know questions with your whoever's collecting your embryos and say okay why did we strike out for this reason or and that's usually the first question when someone asks is so we didn't get any fertilized eggs out what are we going to you know what was the cause and and I say well let me go down the list is it the semen? Is it the cow? Is it, did we stimulate her too much? Did we, you know, um, a big thing that I, I think that everyone should keep track of um, is their semen in their, their tanks. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've watched people pull out straws with their fingers, look at it and go, okay, oh yeah, that's the code for this bull. And then they stick it back in there and then they want you to, to flush with that, that bull. And I, it just kind of makes me cringe and like, well, you know, how many times have you pulled that straw out and how much damage have you done? Um, people think, oh, well, it's still cold. Well, you just caused, you know, 15% of those sperm cells to die. And then the next time you do it, there's another 15%. And so, you know, you do it two or three times, you're, you have a dead straw of semen and it's no good to you, especially uh, after you've already put in several hundred dollars worth of 
drugs and preparation for this flush and then you use bad semen and so that's my I guess when you get to the flush side of things that I would um, if you think about it your nitrogen tank um, unless you are doing live cover with a bull and you are flushing the cow that day and transferring right into recips something has to go through that semen tank and it's amazing how many people want to keep that semen tank well how low can I get it you know three <laughs> inches from the bottom is that gonna cause it and I just I know at our facility we have a guy that comes once a month and we just say well if you leave your semen tank here it's getting filled once a month and it's 50 bucks and seeing we bring our own doers in and we fill every single month and if you saw my my room of semen tanks you would shake your head but um, my wife's uncle well, David takes care of that for us because he's there and it's at his place and it, we're so scared of losing stuff we can't replace that we are always on the top half of a tank there is some studies out there that show the the more full your tank is, the colder the neck is, and and a lot of people for some reason stall out their can their canisters in the neck when they're trying to look for something above the freeze line and wonder why they've got problems. And we've had problems where we've shipped semen in. I got it here just in time, gave it to Sean, and it went zero for thirty on a cow that we always get quality twenty plus embryo collections and. It's hard to swallow sometimes when it's your fault. <laughs> well, I, our semen salesman, he, he had a good story. He uh, bought, he, or he sold some embryos to a guy. They had shipped it in a shipper container, and three weeks later he called him up and said, hey, where's my shipper tank? You're supposed to send it back. And he's like, oh, we're storing the embryos in that shipper until we put them in in a few weeks. And he's like, uh, that shipper's only good for two weeks. They <laughs> Sure enough, they opened it up, tank was dry. All the embryos were dead. And, and that happens more than you guys think, you know. I, I ship semen to people all over the country and embryos, and I have to remind them, a shipper tank is not a storage tank. So when it gets to you, you either need to take it to whoever's putting it in or find the semen cells rep that'll let you borrow a little canister in his tank. But you can't leave them in the shippers. They're designed for 14 days or less. And that's if they fill them all the way up and leave nitrogen in them. So I don't know many people that do that anymore. So 14 days, guys, don't leave your stuff in shippers, please. And here's the, the sad part about it. People lose stuff that's not replaceable. You know, if I had a, one of my big tanks go bad, I'd lose a million dollars worth of semen and embryos. It's the truth of it. That's why we manage our own tanks so heavily and make sure they're always full and somebody walks by every couple of days and looks to see if there's any frost building on the outside. And It's an expensive game, but your semen tank is like your bank account. You want to make sure it's at a quality bank. You want to make sure that the, the nitrogen's always full. You want to make sure that people who are around that tank know not to touch it because that's another problem. I've seen people touch stuff that they should never be touching and it, it's a sad, sad deal. <laughs> so Sean, I brought Sean some Wagyu and, and Sean told me when I first dropped him off, he's like, oh great, <laughs> oh great. And, and we started flushing Wagyu and I will tell you right now, my red Wagyu flush much better than my black. Um, I think Sean 
doesn't love our black Wagyuner as much as our reds because they are, they're just different. I think that we spend so much time halter breaking our red Wagyu and being around them and our black Wagyu don't get as much. They get halter broke. They're just not as, I don't know, they're just not the same because we started with red. And we're getting better. We're getting better with all of them. But on on the average from what you've seen from mine and David's herd and the few others you do, kind of what's the average you're seeing on a collection from a cow that's that's doing a moderate job at giving embryos? Um, so around here, um, so we're not breed specific. So we have Angus, we've had Charlay, we have Hereford, um, we've done some Simmental, Mini Angus, all sorts of stuff. Um, but a typical flush, you know, breed to breed, you're, we're looking at about eight around here. And that's pretty, that's pretty good. Like, like, let's be honest, people. Eight to 12, I feel, is pretty normal. Like, that's what you should expect-ish. <laughs> but I will have to say, um, if you have always gotten 20, you better buckle up. The day's coming when average is going to hit you hard. And there's going to be days that you hit zero four and five times in a row or just one or two and you're like man is this really going to be worth it and and, it, and we've had those we've had those like this week we had one give us one and the other one give us 20. we've had weeks where my big d4 cow who's our she is a embryo producing machine and and we went over 30 one day just is what it is it's part of playing the game. This is like the big Russian roulette game with genetics, and that's what we're doing right here, is trying to lay our bets to make the best improvement to the cattle we can, and embryo transfer is, in my opinion, the best way to take the best females and, and propagate them throughout the industry. Well, and I guess my thoughts on, if you can't take a hit every once in a while, if every flush has to be a bang on 10 plus embryos to make this pan out financially, um, you're gonna go broke. I'm sorry and, to say that. And you will, and we'll get into the other side of this on, on putting in embryos. The odds are not always in your favor when putting embryos in. And it's just the way it is. We've had good years, we've had okay years, we've never had a terrible one yet, but it, I know that eventually the odds are gonna catch us at some point. Right, and, and that's the truth of it. So, Sean, what is one of the worst times of year to collect? I would say it's during the summer months when it's hot. Well, there's uh, kind of two periods. Uh, there's the biggest one is when you get heat stress in the cattle. Um, that causes the, the most uh, damage to the embryos, you get the the worst looking embryos and quite often when you go to put those in there there's less conception rate on the the recips and if you go back and look at it if they were produced during a hot spell or uh, during those periods then uh, they can be heat damaged but you just can't tell looking at them under a microscope um, the other side of it is on the flip side is extreme cold you get some negative 20s you know for a little bit that cow's just trying to stay warm. And uh, I keep telling people that the, la the first thing that goes 
is reproduction. That cow is going to not try and make any more. It has enough trying to keep care of itself. And so usually during the heat periods and the extreme colds. And where we live, we get both of them. Like right now, this week, it's like 92 degrees right now and it's gonna get hotter. And you guys in Texas, it's hot for months at a time. And we have collected through these periods. Um, we're collecting now. Like, <laughs> like, like today, I think is what Sean was saying earlier today. But um, you, you just have to know that there are those odds that aren't going to always work for you. And if, if you were really thinking about it, you would try to make the most comfortable temperature for yourself be the most com comfortable temperature for your cows when you're collecting embryos. And, and shade helps, right? Get them out of the sun if you can, all those things. So now that we've kind of covered the front half, Sean is now going to, he's, he's given them all their shots. Uh, he's AI'd them because you have to have semen involved to make embryos. And then he's going to go to what is, what is, what do you call it? Flushing. Flushing, the flushing part of it. And, um, and it's pretty cool to watch. Like if you've never gone and seen it, you probably should spend the time to do it. My least favorite part is uh, the actual flushing of the cow, just because it's, there's no excitement there. You see that there's fluid going in, you feel the fluid, your fluid comes out, but there's no like gratification. Am I getting the embryos? Is, is there, I'm, am I doing any good? Or am I just practicing here? Um, so it comes to the, my favorite part, which is the microscope. But um, when we do the flushing part, we're just hooking up a bag of flush medium. It's been balanced, pH balanced. Um, we run that down through a, a tubing uh, into a catheter, which has been placed into the cervix of the animal, into the uterus. Um, I do what they call a body flush, um, which is I flush both horns at the exact same time. Um, it's a little bit faster. Uh, they say there's two to three percent less recovery on it, but it speeds you up by like 45 minutes. And quite often that time is really not beneficial to try and get that extra one or two percent. Um, there is things called horn flushing, which is you flush one horn, then you reposition the catheter, and then you, you flush the other horn. And then as that, I, there's little valves on there, so you open up one valve, run it into the uterus, you clamp that valve off, and then you open up the other valve and run it into a dish that has a filter on it that's 68 micrometers big. Um, the embryos are about 120, and so it catches the embryos, but again, when it comes down to the dirty cows, it catches white blood cells and mucus and it catches everything and that's the the fun part to to get to search through and try and find the one thing that's changed a lot over the last probably 15 20 years is the mediums me and sean were talking a couple weeks back or a month ago about how they used to make medium like that was what you did you didn't just buy it so, yeah so the mass production of certain things have made it a little easier for the guys that are doing it i think like I couldn't imagine having to make my own medium. Well, the thing with making the medium is everything is so precise that it's, you don't want to like mess up and you get a little bit too much of one ingredient, then you end up killing a lot of embryos. 
Yeah, and by and by really by having somebody make it for you, it's probably sped the process up. Like you're not spending the day before making medium. Yeah. <laughs> So one of my least favorite parts is Sean's favorite part because I sit and I wonder what he's looking at in his microscope as he grids off a dish that he's just flushed full of medium and hopefully embryos. Yeah, so the dishes we use, they're, they got a grid on the bottom. So I got a little 10 microliter pipette. And so all Steven sees is me dipping that in there. You know, he doesn't know if I'm moving some mucus around or sucking up embryos or sucking up two or three or just sucking up one or and and that's what makes it exciting for me because i'm like oh yes there's one oh there's another one and i i probably leave steven hanging in suspense while i'm doing it but it, it's fun for me i'm pretty lucky his dad shows up so i usually spin in the chair and talk to kevin while we do this <laughs> because he always has something interesting like every time he comes in i learn something new it seems like or he's looking for something that that i've i've we either have or we've used or it, it's always fun to have him and he comes for our our implant day like like this year it was a huge help because he got everything ready for him so so sean's gonna take them all out of the cool dish and he puts them in a smaller dish and then he puts them in each straw and then that gets frozen and if you want to know about freezing embryos jump online and learn about it like really it's it, i'm it's, i'm gonna leave you with that one because it, it definitely is a skill it's definitely something you have to master and I don't want people doing this in their garage. So I'm being honest, like I'm just telling you the truth. So if you need to figure out how to freeze embryos, not on our show. Well, <laughs> and the hardest thing I think is, is that takes a lot of practice is knowing a good embryo from a bad. And I think that's, if you're just getting started, that's gonna be your biggest holdup is making sure the embryos you're putting in those recips are actually fertilized, are actually growing. Well, and I think the other thing that is, is Sometimes Sean lets me look in his microscope and I look in it and I go, cool. <laughs> cool. I, I could show him an air bubble. Yeah. And yeah. He'd be like, yes. That's, that's we got one. one. We got one. It's a home run right there. But, but no, it's a, it's a skill, guys. And that's why they, they charge what they do. They're, they have a skill that nobody else has. And, and you should never throw a big fit over what they charge you. And, and everybody charges differently based on what they do. Uh, I, I have a cow that has to go to IVF and I send her down to IVF and I don't really love it, but that's where she's at and she does okay for us. And they do things different than Sean does and then I call and ask Sean why they're doing it that way because he has enough institutional knowledge that it kind of keeps me informed along with him. I used to read all the research papers, but now I just ask Sean what the new things are. <laughs> <laughs> so after, after this all froze up, um, or you could do it live, you know, fresh transfer, I guess. Uh, Sean did some for me not too long ago in some Holsteins that he had. Um, let's talk about putting in embryos into recip cows. So this is how we do it. So we call Sean and he gives us a protocol to follow so that the day he shows up, most of the cows, if not all of them, should be capable of producing a heat well enough to take an embryo. And with embryos versus AI, there's some more time involved in it. Um, a lot of times we run, well, we only run seven and seven protocol now. Um, a lot of people do a lot of different things, but that's just kind of what's worked for us. And, and I think Sean likes seven and seven too. 
Yes, I do. Um, it, it's definitely different because of how hard the heats are and how quickly they respond to that heat. And we found that we get better conception with 7 and 7. The downside to 7 and 7 is you have to have the capability of running your cows through the chute an extra time. Uh, we feel like that's an important thing and some people don't and Sean's done it both ways. How much better do you think 7 and 7 is on an average over a year's time of implanting embryos? Um, on average. Sometimes it's hard to tell just going from place to place. Um, overall, I think it you're, you're getting a boost. It's it's well worth the extra money to 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 go and the extra hassle of going through. If nothing else, um, from what I've seen, the heats on those cows, you're getting from what I from most of the places that have done it, they get like 95% response rate, and then they may pass on one in a hundred on so the cows. So I think we kicked out two or three this time, but we had others that we somehow got lucky enough that they synced up well enough because we gave them estrumate at the same time. Yeah. Some fill-ins, that's the right way to put it. Yeah, and you should always expect, you know, somewhere between five and 10% that whether it's an unovulated follicle so they don't have a CL or the cow just you know, got something funky going on. Um, don't expect 100% of your recips every time is going to take an egg. There are days that it does work out that way, and it's nice, but don't expect it all the time. And the problem is, guys, is like our donor cows, we keep these animals at a point of nutrition that is beneficial to take an embryo. Not too fat, not too skinny, full, you know, all their nutrient needs are met. The problem we have is we always implant into cows that are nursing, so we have to bump up our feed intakes and a few things like that to make sure that they're ready for this. The other thing is, is you make sure that they're far enough out of calving that they're actually cycling, because I think that can be a problem with some people. Yeah, so my ideal recip cow, she's you know somewhere in that you know three to five, four to six. You know six is getting a little bit fat, but you know three to five on the weight scale, um, body condition scoring, and their nutrition, their weight is going up. You can't, you know, starve these cows into submission and expect to get a profit out of them. And I keep telling people, you know, when you get the embryos put in, you know, they've got, they've quite often, they're like, we have just been itching to get this cow out of the corral. We have got her, get her on pasture. And then you're like, okay, well, it's now April, it's 40 degrees outside, and the grass just barely turned green, but it's two inches tall. It's nothing but water, and they're like, that's where they're going, is out on that pasture, and now you've just shot yourself in the foot because their energy demand uh, is high, they're usually lactating, nursing a calf, and all of a sudden, there's no groceries bringing home that cow's gonna say, get rid of that new calf. I don't want to try and survive all of this and starving. And the hard part with that is, so like what we do is, is we try to make every time through the shoot a little more controlled and calm. Cause I feel like that's where people make a mistake too, is they're beating on these cows, trying to get them in their shoot, 
and being loud and obnoxious and hot shoddy and <laughs> and and it causes a cortisol response and we go so far as using transdermal banamine with every animal that gets an embryo to try to mitigate the cortisol responses and we feel like it's like i can't tell you definitively if it's really helping us give me another year with it so we did it the last two years i have enough numbers this fall once we see calves start coming in january and we're able to dna back verifying that these calves are these embryos um i think we'll have enough information for ourselves at least to prove that it works a preliminary stat says that it gives us one or two percent yeah and when you're you know it's a little more expensive for the transdermal but if you're looking you know a lot of places use angus or something just or crossbred cows or just commercial cows if you can get another just a few more percentage on the the conception rate um they can pay for a lot of drugs and a lot of extra hassle and the one thing too you've got to remember guys is say you go out and you buy some embryos that are not replaceable your one is if you can get one extra animal that's huge Sometimes I drop stuff off here to Sean, and instead it shakes his head. He's like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, it's fun." But you know, so we have our animals set up. We bring them into a corral system. We bring them into a squeeze chute that has a palpation cage, and then Sean prepares the embryo and implants it into the cow. And then a couple months later, we run the ultrasound machine and see what we got. That, that's that's essentially in in the bag of things. The one thing I want Sean to touch on though is when he goes behind a cow and, and tests to see if that cow is ready, do people ever question, <laughs> are you sure that she's not good? Well, I have had some that they, I think one of the sticking points that I have a hard time with, um, and this goes back to management is if you're going to put an embryo in this cow, make sure she had a good standing heat that you, whether that's an ester tech patch or a cow manager tag or pedometers, or, you know, you set out your son who knows what a heat looks like. Painted tail heads. Painted tail heads. Yeah. Simple. Write it down and know that she had a heat. I, I still go to places that are like, okay, well we synced up 30 of them, but 23 of them showed heat. And it's like, okay, just take those seven that didn't show heat, just run them right out the back. Don't even bother bringing them in because these embryos cost too much to and just be throwing them in. And it's any breed. I don't care what breed you're in. Embryos cost money to make. They cost money to gather. And if you feel like your cow is good enough to give embryos, then they have value. Yeah. You know, um, and, and in the Wagyu world, we do weird stuff, right? Like... We breed Tarusha, and that's getting ridiculous. Or MasterChef, like you can't get anymore. There's no more being made. Or WSIU Minari, or all these bulls are dead and we're making embryos. We want to have the best opportunity to have a live calf. And it absolutely kills me when people have a terrible experience where they go 0 for 12 or 0 for 30 because of a management problem. And if those embryos, if those calves live on the ground are not worth three, four hundred dollars more than that calf would have been, that that cow would have naturally had, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely. The you either truth. need to switch your recip herd or 
your donors. And I may have broken that rule this year. I had Sean put an embryo in in a cow that we have that is bred absolutely beautifully. But I wanted an extra WSI human yaru calf this year, so I had him put one in, and I'm I'm pretty sure that her her, li her live calf bred to some of our even our standing herd bulls would be worth as much as this WSI human yaru calf she's carrying. That's due at the end of the month. But yeah, um, and I do dumb things like we calve a lot in January and then we calve a lot in April and then I have my recips calve whenever I bring them home and put them in with a bull. That's how I do it. Well, and I have one guy that his theory on recips is, is if that cow doesn't take with an embryo, I want to be able to breed her to a, you know, have a really good bull on top of them and that calf is going to be worth every bit as much. Yep. But I have just these few cows that I really want more calves on and I'll take either one but preferably the more expensive one and that, the big thing is too is is these females if you don't propagate through embryo transfer they only get one calf a year and not all calves make it guys let's be honest about it you have dystocia problems at birthing they get into something they get laid on they get stepped on there's a million things that can happen to a calf and if you really do have a top female, or you believe you have a top female, um, you need to propagate that to verify that the female is actually breed standard or, or above. And that's what I tell people too. If you don't have a, just because you bought a Wagyu cow doesn't mean she needs to be bred. And it doesn't mean she needs to have be an embryo transplant cow, right? Like you need to make sure that this cow is above the minimum breed standard in order to collect them and be prosperous doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but more can be said. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people don't get that, and it's cool. Like, I don't get I, I get terrible with hate mail sometimes. It's great. I love it. <laughs> well, I, ha I will have to say I have done some, uh, some embryos in some flesh and some cows, and I thought, man, this cow is just a dog. And they say, well, she's a clubby, and they go out there and you look at the calf and you go oh i can see why we're working with this cow because they're like oh this clubby she'll she'll bring four thousand dollars every all day long every day no matter whatever calf i had and so it, it's really you got to be able to market it on that back side if you don't have the goods going in and have a good firm game plan of where that's going then you're you're not going to make money i you always have to start with the end in mind so this week's piece of wagyu advice at the end of the the, the segment is going to come from sean today because it's usually me is spouting off some cool random thing that i know but i'm going to help him with it sean for our piece of advice this week what is one thing that people can do that will improve their chances of being successful by putting with their recip cows if there's one thing that you see that gets done wrong more than any, what is the one thing that they could work on? Um, I think the biggest thing is you don't have to do one thing correct. I think it's making sure that you do everything 1% better. If you're a little bit better on your heat checks, a little bit better on your mineral program, a little better on your feed, a little better on your storage of your embryos, a little bit better just across the board, no matter what you're doing. Um, 
you don't have to hit 100% on one category. You just need to be just a little bit better and you're gonna make much more headway just being a little, taking attention to detail clear across it as opposed to focusing on one thing. And I think that's a great, a great segue um, because we all should be trying to do a little bit better every year, every day, every time we deal with cattle because sometimes we lose our patience or sometimes we aren't as capable as others in keeping cool and not yelling at the cows or or, or whatever, whatever you're lacking. And, and that 1% rule is pretty dang smart. It's good in life. It's good for you. It's, it's good for everyone. The one thing that I think that we have an advantage over a lot of people is when we do stuff like this, we have a team. My wife's uncle and my father-in-law and myself and, and her cousin Russell, which is her uncle's son, and his wife and, and, and daughters, they all come out. They all help. They all know the system, right? And I think that's an advantage we have, is that we work as a team. We work as a team with Sean. Um, and and that, I think, is why we're a little more successful sometimes than some of the other people around us or some of the other people in the industry because we work as a team. And none of us could do it as well as all of us can do it together. So I'm going to leave you today with that fun knowledge of embryo transfer. And we'll have Sean come back on. I've got a bunch of things I want him to talk about, but I figured this is a good segue into the rest of our, what did our embryologist tell us not to do this week? (laughs) (laughs) Or the the phone call. You're not bringing that cow back, are you? (laughs) We had two black heifers and one was not not near as friendly as the other, but they were both halter broke. I'm not sure what the problem was. I don't. I don't know. They didn't. They didn't love Sean as much. But I, I drove, made sure that that cow didn't stay here. Yeah. I, I drove her down to Stephen. I'm like, where you want her? Yeah. I don't care where, but it's not at my place. Yeah, and and that's cool too, right? If your embryologist tells you that the cow is no longer staying at his place, don't fight him on it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for him. It's not worth it for you. Obviously, that cow needs to go down the road. So we're gonna leave you that today with what's new with Wagyu, and I hope to see you again next week. Played his guitar on the harder side of town Where it's hard for a poor boy to find the money He had dedication, he had the heart and soul Somehow knew he was born to play People said get a real job, support your family there's no future in the road you're taking He never said a word The dreamer just kept on Late at night you could hear him sing I'm on the beach, somebody
ten years to the top But now he's number one on the stage and the radio Still he can't believe how people come from miles around When it seemed like only yesterday Yeah. 